Amen, and hope that's our prayer this morning as well as we begin our missions conference week, our global uh, outreach uh, week. I hope that our desire is to, to go where God would call us, to, to meet the needs of those in whom uh, he's, he's called us to, to meet. And I encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, 2 Corinthians 5 as we talk about the, the ministry of reconciliation that God has called us to through missions. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. I'm going to begin a verse earlier. I'm going to begin in verse 17 as uh, we look here at Paul's ministry of, of reconciliation and, and how missions relates to all that. Paul writes in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In verse 18, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be seated. May God encourage you through His Word this morning. Uh, let's let's pray. Father, we thank you for this this truth about reconciliation, about being brought into relationship with you, and we pray that we would understand it more fully. And that as we understand it more fully, we would have the ability to, to share it with others. That Our excitement would, would, would just be uh, contagious as we take this message of good news to others. And We pray for those who are partnering with us in the, the task of telling others about you. We pray that they would be encouraged this week. We pray that we would be faithful in supporting them and their families and give us, give us grace as we minister this week and throughout the year. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago, I was in South Africa at a missions conference, and I had the opportunity to go to a, a breakout session with some, some pastors. And it turns out a, a breakout session at a South African conference is very much like a breakout session of pastors here in uh, the States among evangelical pastors. We had the same kind of tables, and the tables made the same little shape, and we talked too long, uh, just like we, we do here. And it was, it was good, good conversation, though. One of the topics that came up was what exactly is missions, and, and related to that, who can be a missionary? Apparently, these these pastors have been having some very uh, long discussions about this issue, and the conversation was very passionate. It was very cordial and respectful, but it was also very passionate. These these guys had been thinking about this this issue for a while, and some took a, a more lenient view, maybe similar to what we would view here at Bethany Community Church. They said, well, the, the task of missions is to strengthen and establish local churches, but anyone who's engaged in that that ministry might be said to be a missionary, and so there's kind of a little bit less narrow definition there. And then some of the pastors said, no, the, the task of missions is very specific. It's this gospel proclamation ministry, and unless a person is engaged in pastoral-like ministry of proclaiming the gospel, they're not really a missionary. 
And that kind of got me thinking. I was glad they didn't ask me what I thought because I wasn't quite sure I understood all the issues. But after that conference, it kind of got me thinking. And it's true that there are a lot of things that we sometimes refer to as missions that aren't, you know, that are kind of diverse, right? So, for example, a person might leave the United States and go and travel to another city in another country and be there, and and maybe they they pray there, and they walk around this community or neighborhood or something, they pray, and then they come back, and they say, well, I went on a missions trip. Or someone else might go to another country and engage in some sort of, of task there, like building something, or maybe they work in an orphanage, or they do some sort of care issue, and then they come back and they would describe what they did as a missions trip. Or someone leaves the United States, and they go and they live in another community, and because they're Christians, they say, well, I'm, I'm doing missions work. I kind of work for this other company, but I, I'm doing missions work because I'm here and a Christian in a community. And What exactly is missions? Are all those things missionary, missions, and the people doing the missionaries, or is there some thing that makes something a, a missions event, and how do we understand that? You know, as I mentioned earlier, we've often said that we believe that the, the task of missions is a local church working to strengthen and establish other local churches. And so maybe that means starting a church where a church doesn't exist or coming alongside churches that are, are in help, in need of some sort of help, and then helping them, that's, that's what we've seen as, as missions. And I think that's a good understanding. It, it keeps the focus on the local church. Like, we as a local church have a responsibility to help other churches throughout the world in their task of proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and preparing people to worship him forever. That's, that's the task of missions. But as we look at 2 Corinthians 5, I think we have kind of a, an important nuance on the task of missions that I want us to think about here from these verses. What I want you to see from these verses is, is this understanding of missions. Missions is the ministry of proclaiming the good news that a person can be reconciled to God. Let, let me say that again. Missions is the ministry of proclaiming the good news that people can be reconciled to God. And there's, that, that's what I think Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 5. And there's several components of that definition that I think are very helpful for us. So first of all, missions is a ministry, right? Sometimes we, we do this one event. We think, well, I've, I've done missions. Maybe I, I go to a community and I hold some sort of big event and people come to that event and I leave, and there's no sort of ongoing ministry that I'm supporting there or that someone else is supporting there. I think, well, I've, I've done missions because I did this big event and people heard about Jesus. Well, I don't think that's a very biblical understanding of the task of missions. Missions is a, a ministry. It's an ongoing event that all of us have been called to participate in. Missions isn't just me walking outside my door and seeing my neighbor, and my neighbor sneezes, and I say, God bless you. Yeah, just on missions, because I said something about God to someone. That's, that's not missions, right? Missions is a ministry, a calling that all of us have, given to us by God, to support the work of proclaiming this, this good news. So it's, it's a ministry. 
And I think another important part of that definition is the idea of, of proclamations. It says, Missions is the, the ministry of proclaiming the good news. And so if I go into a community and I, I do nice things, maybe I, I help build something or I, I help them with some sort of project or I, I do some sort of social good in that community, that's not a bad thing to do. But unless it is somehow also connected to the local church proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ or working to establish a local church in which the good news of Jesus Christ can be proclaimed and people can prepare to worship God forever, unless that's part of the end goal of that project, I don't think we have missions either, right? Missions is a ministry, a ministry of proclaiming the good news. And then what is the the content of that good news? The good news that a person can be reconciled to God. That a person can be reconciled to God. What what does reconciled mean? Reconciliation refers to a relationship that's been broken and then brought back together. And it's this, this last part of the definition that I think Paul focuses on most here in 2 Corinthians 5. And the part of reconciliation that I want to talk about quite a bit this morning. Reconciliation, biblical reconciliation, is not something that we just kind of intuitively understand. As we look at the world around us, I think we could say we live in a world that's, that's not known for reconciliation. Just, just think about the events of this last week on a global scale, right? You have uh, throughout the world conflict taking place. And I was talking to a friend about what's going on in, in Syria, and we both agreed you need some sort of you know, diagram to understand all the players who are involved and what's, what's going on there. You think about our relationship with Russia and how the Russians are supporting one faction in Syria and we're supporting some other people. And those, those people are people we'd normally be enemies with in another given context. And, and then Russia and Syria together are supposedly fighting ISIS and, and we're, we're against ISIS too. And there's all this, this conflict there. And, and then you think about the Syrian refugee crisis and how that affects Western Europe and, and just all these things. Are, and then you think about yesterday and the the, the situation in Turkey with the bombings where some, I think close to 100 people lost their lives. and our, our world is not known for being a place where conflict is lacking. Conflict exists and broken relationships, once broken, tend to stay broken, right? And it's not just worldwide conflict, right? Think about this, this last political week and all the conflict that is marking not just Democrats versus Republicans, but what's going on in the Republican Party and how they're, you know, who knows what's going on there and all these different factions. And you think, well, can, can reconciliation, can relationships really be, be mended here? And, and then you think, okay, not even just nationally, but in my own home. Maybe some of you had weeks that were not marked by, by peaceful, harmonious relationships, but you'd say, man, that the relationships in my home this, this past week were, were marked by tension by heartache, and it seems like some of our relationships are so off that, that reconciliation seems a very distant event if, if it happens at all. Reconciliation, though, is an essential part of missions. We're, we're pro- proclaiming to people that, that you, can be, you can be reconciled to God, you can be brought back into relationship with God, and that's what I, I want us to think about this week and next. 
reconciliation is, is much harder than we think. And, and the ministry of missions is a ministry of proclaiming to God's enemies, look, those of you who were his enemies can now become his friends. You can be reconciled to God. This, this broken relationship can be healed. And what I want us to do this week and next is, is talk about that. And I want us to begin this morning by talking about our relationship with God. And there's, there's two things we're going to look at. And the first thing we're going to focus on is, is this week. And I don't think we're going to get much beyond this this morning. But here's the first thing. The ministry of missions begins with God reconciling us to himself. If we're going to understand what missions is, it has to begin with this understanding. We need to understand what it means that God reconciles us to himself. And, and so often we, when we approach missions, we say, okay, there's, there's this group of people over here, and this group of, over, of people over here are, are lost people, or they're unreached people, or they're whatever label you want to give them, and, and those are the people over there who need the gospel. And so we, as we talk about missions, we talk about how to reach them and what message to reach them with and what sort of methods to use. And I don't think those are inappropriate questions to ask ourselves, but I don't think it's the question we need to begin with. Because if we begin with that question, we can kind of, like, how do I reach these people, these unsaved people, these unreached people, these, these heathens, whatever you want to call them, if we begin with that question, we can have this, this wrong mindset. We can say, well, I'm the enlightened one. I'm the person who's figured out how to get reconciled to God. And now I, with my expertise and my, my spiritual superiority, need to approach these people. And I don't think that's a very biblical way to understand the task of missions. Instead of beginning with, with them this morning, what I want to do is begin with us. Missions doesn't begin with me reaching them. Missions begins with, with God reconciling me. Missions begins with me. And there's six things about this reconciliation that took place with God that I want us to, to think about together this morning. And here's the first. God initiated reconciliation. As we understand these things, it's going to help us understand how we do the task of missions. Number one, God initiated reconciliation if you would, look at the text with me. It says, all this is from God. And what's what all this? What's what he said in verse 17 about this new creation. This, this new creation for those of us who are in Christ. It's what we are. And this, all this, this, this new creation is, is from God. And, and as you go through verse 18, you see that God is the subject of all that takes place. God is the one who brings about reconciliation. God is the one who initiates reconciliation. Think about the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have one of the most, I think, clear uh, scriptures on this, this truth that God's the one who brings about reconciliation, that God's the one who initiates it. It, it really begins in Ephesians 1 where he talks about how God should be blessed and verse 4, how God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. We were predestined for adoption. He talks about how God was sovereign in all this process and be, before the world even began, God initiated this process of reconciling us to himself. Then you come to chapter 2 and it talks about how you and I were dead in our trespasses and sin. It says that we once walked following the course of the world, following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we're, we're dead in our sins, Paul says in Ephesians 2. We're sinners by our very nature, and we're sinners by our choices. We we're sinners and we choose to sin. And so the situation looks pretty bleak. And then you see two of the most important words in all of Scripture in verse 4, but 
God. God intervenes in a mighty way because of who he is. It says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages we he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What does that tell us? It tells us that God, because of his character, because of his rich mercy, initiated the process of reconciliation with me. I didn't initiate reconciliation. God initiated reconciliation. This uh, past week, our Orphan ministry met to kind of talk about our, our upcoming Orphan Sunday in, in January or Sanctity of Life Sunday. And it's interesting. We've never, never, as an orphan care committee, said, you know what we need to do? We really want to push this adoption thing. And so, you know what we're going to do? We need to get some advertising into orphanages. Those, the, we need to really get those kids who are in orphanages excited about the parents who are here at Bethany Community Church. And so we're going to make some videos of, of, uh, of parents doing fun things like playing Frisbee and like pictures of big TVs and stuff. And then we're going to put these in orphanages and then the kids are really going to want to come into our homes. The kids are going to look at a brochure. Oh, man, that, I, I, love the, uh, I love the playground there. I think this is the home I'd like to go to. It doesn't work like that, does it? It doesn't work like that. If we want to care for children, where do we begin? We begin with, with parents. If there are children who are in need of homes, what do we do? We, we go to parents who are in our church, to couples, and we say, hey, look, here's, here's a ministry for you. Well, let's talk about God and his character, about how God initiated a relationship with you, and, and let's get motivated through a love of God. Children don't choose to come into homes. By God's grace, God works in the hearts of parents, and and they initiate that that family relationship beginning. The same is true of God's relationship with us. I didn't look around and say, you know what, I I really need to be in a relationship with God, and so I'm I'm going to work and to come into this relationship with God. God, before God in eternity past, initiated this this process of reconciliation. Now, now what does that mean for missions? That is a very humbling truth. I don't engage in that ministry of missions, that ministry of reconciliation with other people, saying, hey, let me explain to you how I got this whole thing figured out. I engage in that ministry of reconciliation as one who received reconciliation, not one who earned it, who achieved it. It's humbling. It's humbling. God initiated the reconciliation. We didn't. We don't engage in the ministry of reconciliation because we figured out how to get right with God on our own. Here's the second thing I want us to think about as we think about missions and the ministry of reconciliation, how it begins with God. Number two, God reconciled us through Christ. Look again at the text. God reconciled us through Christ. Uh, Paul says here, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us. Now, now why is that an important thing? What it means is that as God reconciled us through Christ, in the past, on the cross, God removed those, those obstacles. We didn't remove those obstacles The point here is that our salvation, our reconciliation 
with God was not achieved on the basis of our works. And, and this is such a, a fundamental truth, but it's, it's one that I think we have such a hard time grasping. In fact, even after first service, someone came to me and said, you know, I've um, been in the church so much of my life, so much of my life. And, and she said, but not until the last three or four years did I really begin to understand the gospel. And what it means that I can't earn salvation on my own. Listen to what Scripture says. In Titus chapter 3, Paul says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out, on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. When I talk to people about their relationship with God, so often I get this response of, of people saying, you know, there's, I have this relationship with God. The reason I have this relationship with God is, is because of my faith and, and then something else. So I, I know that I have this right relationship with God because of my faith in Jesus and I was baptized or and I um, try to obey the Ten Commandments, right? I know that I have this relationship with God because, and, and they try to point to some, some work that they've done, something that they can say, well, well, I did this, and so now I know that I'm, I'm right with God. But here's, here's the very humbling truth. That because God initiated reconciliation, he also determined the means by which we would be reconciled. And God could have said, okay, I'm going to do I'm going to do a lot of the work. I'm going to do most. I'm going to do the heavy lifting here, but I'm going to require you guys to do like a couple things because, I mean, this is a really good deal, the salvation deal. You're getting saved, justified. You're getting eternal life. So surely you can put a little skin in the game. You can do a little something. So I'm going to save you, sure, but um, I want you to do like three nice things. Just, I mean, three. That's not too big of a deal. But that's not what God determines to do. It says that he he saves us according to, to his own mercy, not on the basis of works done by us in righteousness. You come to Romans chapter 3, and it says the righteousness of God. And Paul in Romans 3 has been talking about how desperately we need God's righteousness and how no one can obtain it. The legalist can't obtain it. The moralist can't obtain it. The Jew can't obtain it. No one can obtain this righteousness from God that we so desperately need. Why is that? It says in verse 21, this righteousness, this elusive righteousness that keeps slipping through our fingers, unable to to grasp onto, now it's been manifested. Now you have it. It's not a with the law, it's apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, tell us to, about it. The righteousness of God, how? How do you get this righteousness of God? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a satisfaction by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Now, now why does he do all this? This is a, a text we turn to again and again to help us understand the gospel. Why does he do it this way? Why doesn't he have us do something why can't we point to some event, some thing we did? 
stand up or walk down an aisle, why do, do none of those things matter in terms of, of being saved? He says he did all this. He gave it to us as a gift that we received just by placing our trust in him. Why? This is Romans 3.26. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He did this so that he could be just, he could be right in terms of declaring people righteous, not, not an unjust judge, and he could be the one who receives the glory for it, the one who does the justifying. He says, well, what about our boasting? Look, if Paul says, look, if, if Jesus is doing everything, where do I get to kind of do a little bit of boasting? He says, well, bad news, it's, it's excluded. You don't get to boast. You don't get to boast. It's not by the law. It's not by the law of works, the law of faith. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. When I ask a person, look, how, how do you know that you're a Christian? How do, how do you know that you're a Christian? I, I get some, some interesting answers, right? Even in a church like ours that I think we're very clear on the gospel. Sometimes, in teaching it, sometimes it's just hard to understand this truth rightly. And so sometimes when I say, well, how do, how do you know that you're a Christian? Again, sometimes we, we point to these, these works that we've done. Well, I've, I've done this, or I, I know that I was, I was uh, baptized at this point, or I know that I, I did this thing, or I, I tried to do these things. And, and I think Scripture is just so clear on this point. God initiates the reconciliation, and the reconciliation is, is, is through Christ. All I can do is turn to Christ and place my faith in him, to trust in him alone for my salvation. So when I talk to someone about their faith, I, I think it's important sometimes for people to say, well, there's this moment where I, I recognize I was a sinner, I place my faith in Christ. But, but more important than just an event, than a moment, is for a person to tell me, look, right now I understand that, that I'm a sinner and, and all I can do is trust in Jesus Christ to receive salvation. That's, that's my only hope. And the reason that God reconciles us to himself that way is so that he will receive all the glory. He is the just and the justifier. A few uh, weeks ago, one of my sons was running a cross-country meet, and, and uh, Pastor Ben was helping kind of organize this cross-country meet, and uh, Pastor Ben got to ride in the gator, kind of gator vehicle, and, and the way that works in a cross-country meet is the, you know, the gator vehicle kind of goes in front of the runners and drives, and the, the, the front runners kind of follow that, you know, so they don't wander off into the woods and into streams or just kind of run around in a circle. You know, who knows what happens. If I was in charge of the gator, we'd do like big figure eights and be hilarious. But where was I? Ben is driving this gator, and Ben uh, let my daughter ride with him. He, uh, my daughter and, and his daughter rode together in this, this gator, and they got to, to ride the whole course. They did the whole course in this, in this gator. But how silly would it have been for Ellie, after it was over, to, to get off and say, wow, I'm, I'm really fast. I, I nailed that course, you know. To, to brag or to boast that somehow she had completed the course. She, she rode along in a gator. 
The same is true when it comes to our salvation and, and what happens after that. We don't go through the Christian life and say, man, I've got this Christian life thing figured out. I've, I've, I've been saved. I, I've, I've worked for my salvation. I, I'm continuing my salvation, this, this sanctification process that I've done. No, God, God initiates reconciliation. And God does it not on our own works, but through faith, through our, our placing our, our, our trust in him. We, we sit in that seat and we, we rely upon him for our salvation. Third truth here, God gave us a ministry of, recon- of reconciliation. God gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Also look at verse 18. He says, this is from God through Christ reconciled himself to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the, the ministry of reconciliation. What that means is that you and I have been entrusted with this, this message of reconciliation to proclaim to a lost world that here's how you can have peace with Christ. Now, as Paul says this, there's a little bit of irony. Because things with the Corinthians are not going that great. We know as we read 2 Corinthians, as we read 1 Corinthians, that, that Paul faced a lot of opposition from the church at Corinth. In fact, in between 1 and 2 Corinthians, there is a visit in which Paul was, was publicly shamed by the Corinthians. And we don't know how widespread the the opposition to his ministry was, but at the very least, there were some influential people who were opposing Paul, who leveled some wild accusation against him, and people did not defend him in the way that they should have, and so Paul has to leave Corinth in shame, and he has to write a very hard letter. But, but here's what I want you to understand. The way in which Paul deals with the opposition from the Corinthians keeps As he does that, he keeps at the forefront this idea that he is a minister of reconciliation. In other words, if I was publicly shamed, my tendency might be to to enact vengeance. Okay, you messed with me? You messed with the apostle Paul? Are you kidding me? You do not know what you have unleashed. And boom, you know, the full full force of my apostolic authority comes through on the current church, right? Paul doesn't do any of that garbage. Why? Because Paul understands, look, this ministry isn't about me. The ministry isn't about me enacting personal vengeance against people. This ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. It's about taking people who are separated from God and and bringing reconciliation. And so his tone and everything that he does is designed to cause people to repent from sin, to repent from a path that leads them away from the gospel, and turn to Christ. Even as he deals with opposition and uses strong words, he keeps in mind this idea of reconciliation, of restoring broken relationships. You and I have been given this ministry of reconciliation, and, and here's, here's what we have to remember. We have to remember that God has called us to reconcile people to himself. He said, okay, Daniel, I've initiated reconciliation. I've reconciled you through Christ, not on the basis of your works. Now I want you to communicate that message to other people. God has not placed me on this earth to win arguments. He hasn't placed the church here to assert our rights. He hasn't placed the the church here so that everyone could say, well, I I guess the church was right and I was wrong. He hasn't placed us here even to win public debates. God has placed the church here to engage in a ministry of reconciliation. 
of restoring broken relationships. Now, is it wrong for the government to protect the rights of Christians? Absolutely not. Should we pray for that end? Absolutely. But as we do so, we understand, look, my mission here is not to get people to say, wow, you're a great debater. You've convinced me. My goal is that people will be reconciled to God. We're a people of peace. And sometimes in our tone, we forget that, don't we? We're people of peace. God has called us to peace to preach a message of peace. The ministry of missions begins with God reconciling himself. He initiated reconciliation. He reconciled us through Christ. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing peace. And here's the fourth thing I want you to think about. God reconciled the world. Now, we see this in verse 19. And verse 19 repeats a lot of verse 18, but there's some unique emphasis here. He says, that is in Christ, and we've talked about that already. God was reconciling the world, and what does he mean by the world here? He doesn't mean universalism. He doesn't mean that every person everywhere gets saved. We've seen that already as we've talked last week about God's wrath and judgment. For example, Colossians 3 says, to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And so, when he says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, he doesn't mean that every person is going to get saved. He just means that this message of reconciliation is, is universal, that, that everyone can receive it. You and I, as we, again, we think about how God begins missions with us, and what God has done, God has, has saved you and I, those of us who, at least in terms of most of us here, we're not Jews. We're Gentiles, and God despite our background, despite our culture, despite what our forefathers did or didn't do, we have this opportunity to receive the gospel. Here's a fifth thing. The ministry of missions begins with God reconciling himself. The fifth thing I want us to think about is that that God reconciled us to himself. To himself. That phrase is, is so, so important. Verse 19, he says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He says in verse 18 as well. God reconciled us to himself. Keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians 5. And then turn back to to Romans, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. And I want you to see something that's, that's just very beautiful here. And it's a truth that I think if we don't grasp this, we're not going to have the ability to to understand our new relationship with God, and we're not, therefore, going to have the ability to, to rightly communicate the gospel to other people. This is so, so beautiful. Throughout the book of Romans to, to chapter 5, Paul has been talking about our need for righteousness. I mentioned this earlier. Our need for righteousness. And then he talks about how we're justified by faith. We've read that in chapter 3, remember? And then he comes to verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, that, I mean, that means God has looked at us and justified us, declared us righteous because of our faith, trusting in Christ. Because that's happened, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're no longer at war with God. And through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand currently. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So right now, because I've placed my faith in Christ, I've been declared righteous. God looks at me and he, he sees Christ and so there's, there's righteousness. And, and now, based on where I'm standing presently, it affects the future and, and how I act. And he, he talks about that. I view suffering and 
the sanctification that results from that. And then verse 6 of Romans 5 says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps, maybe, for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, you know, if, if you were a person who was just like really, really nice to me, I mean just a good person and nice to me, and, and I, I see you standing in the street, maybe you drop something, you're picking it up, and I see a, a bus coming, and I realize the only thing I can do is, is jump and, and push you out of the way and, and take the oncoming bus for you. And again, you're really, really nice, and I can't think of any excuses. Maybe I do it, right? Perhaps, Paul says. But let's say you're a really big jerk. I mean, you've said terrible things to me and about me. And I see the bus coming and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. My hamstring kind of hurts a little bit. And I don't know if I'd get there in time. And he might survive. A lot less likely. And, and Paul says, look, here, here's the amazing thing. Uh, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for those of us who were his enemies, for, for sinners. And he goes on. He says, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 9, since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, so here, notice he's using this word in these first nine verses, this word justified. Justified to be declared righteous. And it's like a, a judge uh, looking at a person who's been accused of a crime and saying, no, you're, you're, you're innocent. And it's more than that because what we see here is that the judge doesn't just declare us innocent. The judge knows that we're guilty and takes the punishment on himself and, and makes us innocent. And now, th- that if we just stopped there, if we just stopped at verse 9, like, man, that's an amazing truth. That's a truth that will take us through eternity to fully understand it's amazing. It's, the God, it's, it's, it's incredible. But wait, there's more. Look what happens next. He begins using a different word that's, that's similar but has a, a slightly different meaning. He says, for if while we were enemies we were, now he didn't say justified, now he says reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Now, here's the phenomenal thing. God didn't just save us and justify us. God reconciled us. It's not just the judge saying, okay, I'm going to take care of your, your penalty, and I'm going to, you know, you're, you're good. It's the judge saying, and now I want to enter into a relationship with you. You wronged me. I took care of the wrong that that you owed me, and now I want to be in relationship with you. There really aren't any human parallels for this. And in fact, I would argue human parallels draw from God, not the other way around, right? We understand this type of reconciliation, this type of relationship, because of what we see God doing through Christ, not, not the other way around. When we see examples of this in, in human life, it's, it's an echoing of what God has done. Reconciliation is what happens here. Colossians 1.20, through him he reconciled all things, whether on earth and heaven, making, blood, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay. How can God reconcile us to himself? To understand the gospel, you have to understand God hasn't just called us 
to be saved and to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth and then he'll, he'll deal with us later. He saved us so that we'd be brought into relationship with him. He loves us. And he wants relationship with us. And I have to understand that about my relationship with God before I can be, ever begin to go to these people over here. Because if I go to these people over here and I say, you know, you're a bunch of sinners, and I'm going to tell you I can get right with God and escape hell, but I, I have no concept of, of reconciliation, of relationship, I, I'm not calling them into the relationship that God has brought me. I have to understand that truth. And here's, here's the last thing. And we're not going to get all the way through this because it's going to be something we, we deal with in more depth next week. But the third thing is this. God reconciled us how? By not counting our sins against us. By not counting our sins against us. This is such an important thing to understand because he, he says here in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, as he's talking about our, our reconciliation, he says that he did this, he reconciled the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. It's an accounting term that he uses there. If I had some debts, there'd be this account, and Daniel owes this much here and this much here and this much here. And what he says is God was able to, to enter into a relationship with us and be reconciled by not counting these things. Here's these things against me, and God doesn't count those things. He doesn't count them. Now, how is that possible? How is the truth of Romans 4 true? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are, are covered. What does it mean in Hebrews 8 where it says in verse 12, God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Is it just God says, okay, there's this ledger and here are all the sins that they have. And you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to do this because help them. You know, you know, God, God bless them. There's a story I read this last week about a, a young woman who had $60,000 in, in school debt. And she just decided, you know what, I'm not going to pay that. And that debt got sold from bank to bank to bank until eventually they, just, they lost it. No more debt. Or during the recession, whenever people's homes were being, were being foreclosed on, there was several cases where they'd, they'd go to court and the judge would tell the, the bank to produce the documents that said they owed what they owed. Well, the bank would say, well, look, we bought this from this person, this debt from this person, so we don't have those documents. And the judge would say, wait, no debt? Is that what God does? God, you know what? There's a lot of paperwork here in, in, in counting sins, so just, let's, let's just call it even through faith. And you're good. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. That's not what it means when he says here that he isn't going to count their sin against them. What does it mean? Colossians Chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and this he set aside, you ready? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Brothers and sisters, we, we have to understand these things. Missions is, is not just about me going to a group of people and saying, hey, you know what? Let me just tell you some nice things about God. Or let me just do some nice things for you. And, and I want you, maybe if I do these nice things for you, you'll have some warm feelings about God. That, that's not missions. 
we're going to talk about how I respond to this truth and, and what I do say to others. But I wanted us to begin here this week where Second Corinthians is, and that's beginning by talking about what God did for us. Missions begins as I get reconciled to God. I don't begin this process of reconciliation. God initiates it. He does it through, not through my works, but he does it through Jesus Christ. He, he does it, and then he gives me a ministry of, of telling other people about, about peace with him. And then he, he reconciles, he gives the opportunity for all to be reconciled. I have the opportunity, not because of anything within me, but because it's, it's a universal invitation. He doesn't reconcile me so that I'll, I'll just escape the, the flames of hell. He, he reconciles me to him, to a relationship, to himself. And he does it by dealing with sin once and for all. That's what I must understand about my relationship with God before I can begin to ever tell other people about how to be reconciled. What beautiful gospel truths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ministry of missions, this this opportunity to proclaim the good news that one can be reconciled to you through faith in your son Jesus. And we thank you for this ministry you've given us and help us as a church to be faithful in it. We thank you for your son Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.